0: face, and we talked about her her humble attitude that she had uh, last week, and she said, why have I find, found, uh, found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And she's asked this question, we're going to get our answer from Boaz here in verse number 11, I'm going to read verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, and Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and thou, how thou hast uh, left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy uh, thy work, and a full reward shall be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And so uh, you know that I like to break these things up into an outline. It's even just for my own benefit as I look at the story and try to to see all that God has for us in this story. And so the first thing I see here is a secret reconnaissance. And this was my hard word to find, so I had to find a, a word here. But a secret reconnaissance. How does Boaz know so much about her already? because he's had a report given to him about her. She didn't know there was a report being taken on her. She didn't know that anyone was even taking notice of her at all. She just came to glean just like everybody else that comes to glean at this time of year, at the time of harvest. But there was a report given to Boaz that we saw last week uh, that was given to him by one of his servants. But beyond that, what we didn't see last week was the report of all that she had done beforehand that Ruth had left her homeland that she had come with her mother-in-law that she had chosen Jehovah to be her God and this and Boaz knows all of this already before he even comes and talks to her uh, and talks to her and so uh, she was being watched in secret as she did all of this and I got news for you this morning you are being watched in secret whether you understand that or not, whether you've taken notice of those that are watching you in secret or not, you are. And you say, well, uh, my position, I don't have any positions of real authority or anything like that. And so the way that I carry myself doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Yes. It matters. It absolutely matters how we carry ourselves. Um, turn to Genesis uh, thirty, chapter 33. If you want to keep one finger there in, in Ruth chapter 2. But Genesis chapter 33 And the first four verses of Genesis 33, another famous Old Testament story here, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the uh, two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And here we see uh, a wonderful story of Esau forgiving his brother, loving his brother uh, when he could have, have chosen to be angry still, when he could have chosen to to take his pound of flesh, so to speak. Uh, we see Esau forgive Jacob for what Jacob has done, for the deception that he has done to his brother. And uh, I I preached a message, it feels like it was yesterday, but I looked back and it was almost five years ago, which is hard to believe, but uh, 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 entitled, They're Watching You. And... uh, uh, I, I, when I was reading through uh, Genesis 33 here, I came, when I came to verse, uh, let's see here, when I came to verse number, I believe it's verse number three, uh, uh, that he put Rachel and Joseph hinder most. He doesn't mention any of his other children. Now we can, we can chalk that up to the fact that we know that Jacob loved Joseph the most because he loved Rachel the most. And so that could be why it's here. But I believe there's a purpose. There's a reason why we see where Joseph he, is here. right, why we see here, first off, that he loved him so much, he put him in the very back. He said, if there's going to be trouble, I wanted them to be able to get away first. Yes, of course. But also the Bible teaches us here that he was there to witness his uncle forgive his father for something his father did not deserve forgiveness for. And why is that important? Because we know the story of Joseph. And we know that one day his brothers are going to stand before him. And he's going to have the opportunity of a lifetime to be vindictive against them. Not only can he do it, he can be anonymous while he does it. They don't even know it's him. He can do it nearly guilt-free. And he chooses to forgive because when he was a boy, he stood there and he watched unconditional forgiveness from his uncle. And, 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 and why is it important for us to, day in and day out, be a good example in our lives because you do not know who is watching you right now. You don't know what Joseph is watching you right now that needs to learn a lesson from your life. It could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody you don't even know exists. Um, I, when I was in Bible college, I had a need, a financial need, uh, one time that I was praying for, and it was a miracle of God, uh, that, that he showed me. And it was an amazing thing. It changed the way I looked at prayer. It changed the way I looked at God's provision, uh, provision on my life for, for the rest of my life. And pastor loves to tell the story about the uh, cinnamon toast crunch and that sort of thing. It was my cinnamon toast crunch, if you will. But there was a, there was a, uh, uh, husband and wife from my Grandpa's brother's church in Mississippi. Never been to that church. At that time, never been to Mississippi. Never been anywhere close to Mississippi. But my, my grandpa had been talking about his grandson in Bible college. And they just on a, it said, oh, oh, what's his name? And what college does he go to? And they said, let me write down his information. And I needed a certain amount of money uh, uh, in order to go, in order to, to take my next classes. And on the same day... I got the exact amount of money that I needed. And one of the things I got was a check from them for $250. From, and by the way, they both passed away. They both passed away in the time before I finished uh, college. I, I, have, I, I will not get a chance to say thank you to that couple until I reach heaven. And I didn't, I didn't know who they were. I just got a random uh, anonymous envelope you know, with this name on it, and I'm trying to figure out Mississippi. It doesn't, and it doesn't explain anything about who they are or anything. They just said, We want to be a blessing. We heard your testimony about what you're trying to do, and here's some money. And that's and that's all. You don't know who's watching your life. You don't know who's hearing about your life and what you are doing. And those of you who work in this in a secular field, you have no idea who is watching you and who's observing you. And you think you have an idea of the people who are close to you or that they're watching you. So who, who is watching us? I, I, I found a couple, a couple people who are watching us. First off, should be fairly obvious who's watching us. God is watching us. Amen. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Amen. And we always like to use this first to immediately talk about the evil. Don't do that because the Lord's watching you. He's also watching what you are doing. He's watching you serve him. He's watching you love others. He's watching you give. He's watching all of those things, and and he's taking pride in those things. I can't tell you how many times I have uh, witnessed one of my children. Maybe they get into a little fight. Maybe one of them accidentally hurts somebody else while they're playing or something along that nature, and they'll immediately say, "I'm sorry." pick them up off their feet. I'm so, are you okay? You know, and, and it's not every time. No, (laughs) not by any means, but on occasion, and they don't know that I'm watching, but I'm immediately filled with pride. Not because I've done a great job as a dad, but I'm proud to be their dad because of the way they are behaving. And I want God to be that proud of me in that way. I don't want to constantly be worried about God watching me. I want, I want to be like, Hey God, watch this. Watch this. All right? Uh, I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I'm doing what you ask me to do. I don't I don't want to be nervous about the eyes of the Lord on my life. I want to be I want to be happy that they're there. Amen. Um, uh, the, the, uh, and I already mentioned it, but our children are watching us. And uh, uh, me and Brother Simmons were uh, uh, talking this morning about uh, about this. Uh, you know, my son was running around on the platform this morning uh, during a, uh, a or during a practice that was happening here, and I had to literally chase him down and grab him. And, and we were laughing about how you know uh, both of us were probably like that when we were kids, and we're reaping what we're sowing. But guess what else? We're not just reaping what we're sowing. They're watching us. You know, and I realize that in the in the room that I'm speaking to, there's not too many here who still have children in their home, but you, but but some of us have have grandchildren, and and the children that are in this church, and the and the things that, you don't think they hear you, you don't think they hear your, conversa- uh, your conversation, the way you're talking about others, in in this church, the way you're you're talking about people in your family, the way you talk about Pastor Bish, you don't think that they hear you. They've got great ears. All right. Uh, they can hear things, that I, you know, that I can't hear anymore. All right. Um, and they have phenomenal ears and they remember things, too. I still remember my my uh, my daughter, Natalie. Uh, let's see. It was a couple years ago. She was four. And uh, somewhere in somewhere in the springtime, the the uh, the Disney had announced a trailer for Frozen 2. All right. I, I don't know, all right, uh, but, but, you know, it's a Disney princess movie, and so, the, you know, the, it, it, she immediately was like, oh, there's going to be a number two, and she's oh, she's so excited about it, right? And, and months and months and months go by, all right, and, and not a word has been said about anything like that, and, and, and I remember she came and she goes, Daddy, are we going to go see Frozen 2? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know when it's coming. She goes, it's coming out really soon, right? This was in November, of, of 2019. And, and, and I, I said, is it, is it coming out really soon? She goes, yeah. And, she, and, and I looked and sure enough, it was coming out the next weekend. And, and to my knowledge, I don't think that she saw another ad for that, that she was talking about. It with her. She remembered. She remembered that because she cared about it. She remembered that. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, children are like that children like that they they have a phenomenal ability to learn and learn quickly and remember things and that's why you want to teach them instruments when they're very young that's why you want to get them involved in all this why because their their minds are hungry and they're and they're they're ready to soak it all in and if you're not careful what you put before them how you live your lives in front of them they're not just going to they're not just going to look at that as a suggestion they're going to look at that as fact that's the way we're supposed to live And that's going to be uh, something that they'll have to overcome later in their life, if that's the example that they have. Um, Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. There's a Bible commandment for children to learn from their parents. And so if your children are obeying the Bible and you are not then you are teaching them what is wrong. And they believe that they are following the commandment of the Bible. Oh, the, the Bible, te- are you trustworthy enough to help them fulfill the commandment of the Bible? Are you, uh, are you doing what you're supposed to so that they, when they learn the instruction of their father, the instruction of their mother? And again, I realize there's not too many with children in your homes, but there's children watching you and, and your lives. And it's important. I want my kids to learn good things from everyone here at Heritage Baptist Church. That's what I want. You know, I, I don't want them to, to, to have uh, poor examples in their life, amen? Uh, and then lastly, who is watching us? The world is watching us. And I mentioned to the co-workers co-workers uh, already, but Mark 3, 1 and 2 says, and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. The, the Pharisees, right, were watching Jesus. They were observing him and they thought they were being sneaky about it, but I guarantee you, Jesus knew exactly where they were. But they watched him. They observed him. What is he going to do? And then they're watching you. They're observing you. And the moment that there's a chink in that armor, the moment they can find anything that says, oh, there it is. I knew you weren't for real. I knew that there, you, you put on a really good show. You put on a great show, but I saw it just for a moment there. I saw it. You're just like me, and you're just you're putting up a front. You're you're just pretending. No, we day in and day out have to show them there's a difference between us, amen. And all that was just a side note, but there was a secret. <laughs> there was a secret reconnaissance being uh, happening, and you never know who's watching. Your testimony needs to be perfect all of the time, as much as it possibly can be, amen. Verse number thirteen. Verse number thirteen of Ruth chapter two. Uh, then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaids. She recognizes here in this moment uh, 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 Boaz, I know that I am not like everybody else that's here. I know I'm a Moabite. All right? I know that I'm different. I know that I don't belong. And yet here she is requesting favor. That's awfully bold. That's awfully bold. She's requesting favor, even in this moment of, 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 of recognizing that she is, does not belong here. Remember, like, like that game you play, one of these things is not like the others. Amen? Uh, and her name was Ruth. And uh, uh, you know, she, But here she is making a sincere request. A second point here, a sincere request. She's trusting Boaz to be faithful to the promise that he just gave her. And on top of that, uh, we talked about last week going boldly before the throne of God. Where do we find that boldness? We find that boldness in the promise of the Lord, in the promise that he has given us. That's where we uh, uh, find that boldness, to trust in his promise. And here she is trusting his promise. And you might say, oh, she's pushing it a little bit, asking for favor. All right, she's pushing a little bit. No, she's, she's heard what Boaz said. Boaz said, uh, Boaz said, uh, my door is open to you. Anything that you want, anything that you need, I will provide for you. And she says, Okay. Let me take you up on that. I'm going to take you up on that right now. Say, wow, that's awfully bold. Uh, but, but the Bible uh, teaches us that we can come boldly before the throne of God and ask for that. We don't have to be uh, 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 nervous about asking things of our heavenly father because he's sitting there and he's waiting to pour out a blessing for us. He wants to pour out a blessing for us. He, he, uh, you know and, and I mentioned it last week, but if one of my children asks for something good, I, I, I never get on to them about that. I might say, hey, listen, not right now. I don't think we can do that right now. And I might try to explain to them the reason for it. But in my heart, I'm saying to myself, oh, I wish it were time for that. That would be so much fun. Oh, it would be so much fun to see their face right now. Oh, I can't wait until the right time to give them that. All right, Christmas morning, just a, just a, a, a few months ago, Christmas morning, and you pick out those gifts, and my wife and I this year, we teamed up and we thought, what are we going to get them and what, what's going to get that big reaction that we know from them? And it's not about the amount that you spend, but about thinking about them and what they're going to really like. And I love seeing their face, especially as they get older and they fully understand what it is that's sitting in front of them. Obviously, Lindsay, she just opens it and you know starts playing with the wrapping paper. all right? But, but to see their face light up when they realize what it is that's been, that's been given to them, God loves that. He loves that moment. He can't wait for that moment. And we, we treat and act like we don't have, uh, we don't have the right To go before him and ask, you have the right, you have the right uh, uh, to go before his throne and make a request and that is awesome. Uh, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11 and verse number 9. Uh, this is a really, really, really common passage of scripture, but Luke chapter 11, verse number nine, the Bible says, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen? Uh, and and that, first off, that ought to be the number one thing that we're asking for day in and day out anyways, is the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Uh, help me to do things in your strength and in your power. Amen? That's a sermon for another day. But that ought to be the first thing that we're requesting. But, but the Bible teaches us here that when we have a need or even a desire Bring it to the Lord. Be bold about it. If we ask it amiss, the Bible says he's going to say no. Amen? He will say no if, if, if it's not right for us. But if we trust the Lord to give us uh, the answer that is right, we can come boldly before him and ask for whatever it is that we need because God's promises are unlike any other. They cannot ever be broken. Amen. I, I uh, um, pr- pr- uh, pride myself I was not supposed to say that, uh, but uh, but I, I do pride myself a little bit on on being really serious about my promises that I make. To the point that I've made very few. <laughs> All right, I've made very few. I've made very very few to my children. You say you made very few promises to your children. I want them to know that when Dad promises something, it will be done it will be done, all right? And they'll, they'll say something, you know, and Natalie knows this now. She's old enough to understand it. She'll say, promise? And I'll say, nope. <laughs> nope, I don't promise. She says, why? Because I don't know that it will happen for sure. But when I know that something will happen or, I'm, or I will be doing something for them, I will promise them that because I want it to mean something to them that when dad says, I promise, it's already done. And when God gives us a promise from his word, it's already done. All we have to do is obey that if that comes at the beginning of the verse. But if we do that, we have the right to come before God and say, say, Lord, in your word, it says, if, then. I've done the if. What about the then? (laughs) I'm ready for it. I need it. Uh, What about the then? Amen. Amen. when I was in Bible college, there was an evangelist, his name was Dean Miller, uh, I don't know if, has he has he ever, uh, from Colorado, uh, really good man, uh, the Lord saved him when he was an Elvis impersonator in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, anyways, uh, and so he has a very interesting testimony, but you can kind of tell when he preaches a little bit, <laughs> right, that he maybe did that job a little too long, but uh, <laughs> that's alright, um, but amen, he's a, he's a, a phenomenal preacher, but uh, 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 he preached a message called I dare you and it, it challenged me quite a bit. It's one of those messages you ever heard a message before and it just sticks with you a really long time it was one of those messages that just really changed my way of thinking of thinking about things and he called out that hey look 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 there's these promises in the word of God and if you're you're a child of God and those promises apply to you and you've done the if you put your finger right there on that verse and you say God I dare you not to fulfill your word because that would make you a lot. You say, well, that's awfully bold. God wants, oh, he, he wants to be challenged. He wants you to be so put your faith and trust in him so much that you're saying, God, I'm going out on a big time limb here and God, I'm, 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 I'm trusting your promise so much. I God, I'm, I'm, I'm at, please fulfill the promise that you have written here. And it really, it really challenged me because I thought, wow, that's, that's awfully bold. That's really bold, but the Bible tells us that we can be bold as children of God. God wants you to be bold about his promises uh, uh, and, and how he wants to fulfill them, amen? So there's, there's a, a request that was made here by Ruth. Uh, back to Ruth chapter 2 and verse 14, I'm going to read through verse 16 here. So we had a secret reconnaissance, a sincere request, and now we're about to see a subtle requirement Boaz is going to make a subtle requirement of his workers. Uh, Verse 14 says, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Well, well, the process of gleaning back then was the harvesters would make their way through the field. And as they did, they're knocking things down. They're, they're harvesting the, the full amount of grain from the stalk, the full amount of corn, right? And they're leaving behind tiny little pieces all over the ground. And the gleaners would come in and pick those up by hand. And those little pieces of grain, those little uh, pieces of corn that were missed by the harvesters, right? And Boaz, he comes and he says, she's special. She's different. Let her, I don't care if she wants to go in front of you and get what she wants out of the actual out of the actual stalks, out of the actual sheaves, let her go in among the sheaves. Uh, uh, this one is special to me, and I want her to know it. And so I'm going to allow her to have... A a greater portion, if you will, an opportunity for more than she could have possibly imagined when she came here. And let also uh, 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 some handfuls of purpose. He said, while while you're harvesting some of that, why don't you accidentally, every once in a while, leave behind some of your work. Don't put it in uh, in with the rest. Why don't you leave some of this behind so that she can have an easier time gathering up what she needs. Amen? Uh, he, he made a subtle, a subtle request, uh, a request that Ruth may or may not have known about. We don't know if she was standing there when he said, hey, you know, we don't know that. But she may or may not have known about this subtle request. And so to her, she says, oh, look at this giant pile that I've come across here. Oh, that's amazing. How did they miss this? This is phenomenal. All right? Put in there. All right? Uh, anybody ever find something like that, like a sale or a deal or something like that? You found it and you thought, look at all these People, how how did you miss this? How did be, this is left for me here? All right, anybody ever feel like that, where you you came across something and you thought, "How lucky am I to have found this?" Or you were not lucky. You were not lucky. You're not paying attention. All right, that's a handful of purpose that's been given to you. That's a blessing that's been given to you. And we're so quick to just chalk it up to fate and chance. There's no fate. There's no chance. Absolutely every good thing that you've ever found or come across or gotten because you didn't, even though you didn't deserve it, that was a blessing of the Lord. That was a handful of purpose that's been given to you. And we've got to, we've got to not just be thankful for the blessings that are obvious from the Lord. We've got to go even deeper that we've got to, we've got to be thankful for the things that we think have come of our own work or that we think we've just been lucky enough to have. And a lot of times we'll, uh, we'll, we'll say, Oh, I'm, 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 uh, 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 blessed to be an American and, and to have been born in this country. Absolutely. That was a handful on purpose. That was, you didn't do anything to earn that or to get, you were, uh, you were selected. Ruth gets to go. What about all the other cleaners? What about all the others? And she gets to go. And and uh, because she is special, we are special in the eyes of God. And God, again, he wants to pour out a blessing, but even more than that, he loves it when he, he, he he'll pour out a blessing and we don't even take, We don't even take notice. We don't even know all the things that God has done for us. It was not until I was an adult with children, caring for children, that I started making those phone calls to mom and dad going, thank you. Thank you so much for every single day and every single ounce of effort and energy that you put in and every dollar at McDonald's that you spent, all right? Uh, And and you know what I I mean? And every single one of those opportunities where you could have been working on something you wanted to do, but instead you did something for me. And you don't see it until you're the one who needs to be doing those things, and then suddenly you understand that responsibility. Well, you and I were never going to be God. That's not going to happen. We don't get a turn at that. But if we spend time in the word of God and get to know God, once again, we'll start to understand the mind of God and we'll start to see just how much he loves us, just how much he's provided for us and he cares for us. Amen. Uh, Turn to Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah 45. I was looking for another example of this and I never well, I guess, well, I, I read, I've I read this before, but it's sometimes interesting to read it again with a different, coming at a verses with a different mindset. Uh, uh, but Isaiah 45, verse number one, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates Gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name am the God of Israel, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. I have even called thee by my name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast uh, not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. He said, I, I'm going to give you a promise right now, Cyrus. I'm going to go before you. Every door that needs to be opened for you to be successful, I will open. Every enemy that needs to be defeated for you to be successful, I will defeat. And, and your name is going to be great. We call him Cyrus the Great in history, uh, this man. But he was not great. The God who went before him was great, and Cyrus knew this, and anyone who was paying attention saw who was really doing the work for Cyrus. He, why did the Lord do this? Not so that Cyrus could be lifted up, but but so uh, verse number six says that from the rising of the sun from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. God wants to go before us, he wants to give us those secret blessings, those hard to see things that we don't immediately take note of, why? So that when we have the opportunity to dig a little deeper and look at all the blessings that we have, it magnifies his name, it glorifies him in our lives, amen? And so uh, take some time today, stop and think about, no, not just the blessings that are obvious, not just the first ones that you write down, keep writing. Keep writing till you get to those ones that make you go, yeah, that's a blessing too, isn't it? Wow, those handfuls of purpose that you've come across in your life, those those chances that we like to call, there's no chances with the Lord. Um, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, amen, all of them. Uh, so we see a, a subtle requirement here, amen. Uh, uh, once again, another sermon illustration that I think of uh, when I think of this, John Hamblin is uh, a man that I love. Actually, um, even though our school is now... Defunct and is no longer um, (laughs) in existence. My degree still means something to me, but uh, uh, the year that I graduated, John Hamlin got an honorary doctorate that year. So I'm classmates with John Hamlin, uh, (laughs) technically. But anyhow, Um, uh, uh, but John Hamlin, uh, wonderful preacher, and he uses the illustration all the time in his messages. You are a turtle on a fence post. You're a turtle on a fence post. And I remember the first time he preached that message, and just looking around at everybody else and going. Am I missing something here? I'm missing something here. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a genius or even relatively, but I'm, I think I'm intelligent enough to get most sermon illustrations. But he started with that, and I thought, I have no idea where you're going with this. Well, you know, he preaches the entire—he started with that, and then he preached the entire message without talking. And so the whole time, think, okay, when are we going back to that turtle, all right, uh, on, the, on that fence post there? Uh, we've left him up there an awfully long time, um, but he got down to the end of his sermon. He goes, oh, by the way, you guys know what's special about a turtle on a fence post? And we're all just like, no. whatever." <laughs> and he said, there's no way that turtle got up there by himself. And I thought, oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> and I've thought about that an awful long time. We're turtles on fence posts. Amen. All right. There's no way that we can get to where we are today without the Lord in every single way. And, uh, and uh, it's just an awesome illustration to think about. Um. But we have a secret reconnaissance, a sincere request, a subtle requirement. And then I'm going to read down through the, the end of the chapter here as we, we, we finish off chapter 2 here with, with Ruth returning home with what she has gleaned. That first day, that first day that Boaz has left her those handfuls on purpose, that extra blessing that she wasn't expecting, amen? Verse 17 says, So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Uh, And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her uh, that she had uh, reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought uh, today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. She, she said, Boaz told me, Get right up in there with them. Get right up in there with the young men. Harvest where they're harvesting, just like they are. Amen. So she kept fast by the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, and Naomi Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. And so every day she's going and she's gathering an ephah of barley. And I had to look up what an ephah was. But an ephah is another word that essentially it was the amount that we would call a bushel of, of of wheat every single day. It's 35 to 45 pounds of grain each day. That was enough to feed her and Naomi for two weeks. Each day she has the opportunity to bring. That's... I don't know about you, but I would define that as her cup overflowing. Amen? That was an awful lot. And the average gleaner back then was bringing home between one and a half to two pounds of grain every day. She's bringing 35 to 40 pounds home every day she has the opportunity to go out. As a matter of fact, she doesn't even need to go out every day now because she's got enough stored, stored up. But, uh, the Bible teaches us that Boaz, uh, Boaz said for the rest of this harvest season, anytime you want, you come and you can be right there with the harvesters and, 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 and uh, and glean that much. I don't even know if you can call it gleaning anymore. That's harvesting. That's, uh, that, that's what she was doing was, was harvesting. She was bringing as much home, uh, as they were, uh, for Boaz every day. Um, but uh, uh, Naomi here, you see in verse 20, she said, blessed be he of the Lord. We, this is the first time in a long time we've seen Naomi praise the Lord. Right. She was reminded of God's goodness. She saw a miracle of the Lord. She saw something she was not expecting, and it restored her joy. Naomi came back, and she said, I, uh, I'm bitter, I'm bitter against God, I'm bitter against my situation, call me Mara, and here we see a little bit of her sweetness restored. Amen, her sweetness restored. And sometimes all it takes for us, we're we're down. Uh, Whether it be in, in, in in our ministry, whether it be in our work, whether it be in our financial situation, our family situation, whatever the case may be, we get focused on the problem. Naomi's focused on the problem. My husband has died. My, son, uh, my sons-in-law have died. Uh, I, I, I have wasted all of this, uh, the years of my life in Moab, and I've come back a broken, she's focused on, when she comes back, she says, she, all she's focused on is her problems. And then, and God is so good to her that even in the middle of her complaining about her own wrongdoing, about her own problems, that she's, even in the middle of that, he pours out a blessing for her too. He makes sure that Ruth comes home with enough to take care of them for a long time. And her situation went from desperate to plentiful, and she didn't do anything to deserve it. She knows it, and she she says, blessed, blessed be he of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be Boaz for still caring for us. And notice she says, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. He uh, she realizes that uh, uh, Ruth didn't know why Boaz did it, but Boaz was honoring the testimony of her husband Elimelech. She, uh, he was, he was honoring his testimony, honoring uh, uh, their kinship, and there was a reason behind it. And guess what? There's a, there's, there's a reason why God pours out His blessings to us. He loves us, and it. I know we we ask the question many times. I don't think we're ever going to find the answer. I don't know that we'll find we'll have that answer in eternity. As to why God loves us, He does. He just loves us. He's chosen to, He wants to, He desires to. That's the reason why. And uh and unlike our love, His love is never ending. Amen. But but uh, uh Naomi realizes here uh that that God still loves me. God still loves me. Even after all that I have done, even after all that I have suffered, even after Me complaining about it as though God was the one who did this to me. Even after all that, he still loves me. Amen. Uh, uh, Psalm 51, 12, uh, again, a a really common verse. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free, free spirit. Sometimes all it takes for us to get that joy back is to just start counting the goodness of the Lord. Just start seeing how he's been good to us. And, 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 and not in a, what have you done for me lately way, but what have you done for me my entire life? My entire life, how have you guided me? How have you led me? How have you provided for me in every single way? Amen? So we, we had a secret reconnaissance, a sincere request, a subtle requirement, and then here at the end of the chapter, a sweetness restored. Um, it is awfully hard to remain bitter. When you start counting your blessings, amen. When you start seeing, uh, the Bible says, "Oh taste and oh taste and see that the Lord is good." That bitterness disappears awfully quickly and turns into something awfully sweet when we uh, when we desire to uh, to praise the Lord for what He's done in our lives, amen. Let's pray and we'll be finished this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you for the Book of